So just a word for the younger ones among us. So we are beautifully and wonderfully made, right? As part yeah. of God's creation. God made us to be incredible as human beings. And God gave us some special gifts that we sometimes call the senses. And I wonder if you know about the senses that we have. We learned it in senses. Can you name them? Yep. Smell. Um, see. Smell. Smell, see, hear, touch, and taste. Yeah. That's it. So five senses. Sometimes, though, People tell us we might have a sixth sense, and I don't mean like extrasensory perception, but it's like a spatial sense, a sense of space. And they tell us it goes something like this. If you close your eyes, and I would invite you all to try that, you know if you take your pointing finger and you close your eyes, you can take your finger and touch your nose because your body senses where your nose is. <laughs> so it's called proprioception, that sense of space. But it's not one of the official senses yet. We'll have to see. That's a big word. I but know. it won't go into sentence <laughs> song. So that's the nice thing about computers. You can look up big words on computers and figure it out, right? Yeah, but it won't go on the senses song. The only thing that me and Francis have are iPads. Right. So this is what I'm thinking about. I love the idea of the sense of touch. And when you think about it, my goodness, when you touch things with your hands, you can tell the difference between something that's hot and something that's cold. You can tell the difference between something that's wet and something that's dry. You can tell the difference between something that's hard and something that's soft, something that's smooth and something that's jagged. It's a wonderful sense. And I think sometimes we forget how important it is for humans to touch each other when that's allowed and appropriate. So like I'm thinking of a newborn baby, how important it is for the baby to be held and touched and how important it is that if you like somebody, you hold their hands and you tell them so. Or if you need a hug from your mom, you can just go up and say, please hug me mom and you get this wonderful hug. So human touch is so very important and I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so we can shake hands again, so we can pat people on the back and say we like you and do all of those kinds of things. But for now, we just are thinking about the power of touch. And in the gospel lesson for today, Jesus did a marvelous thing just by touching the hand of someone who was sick. And in the moment that he touched her, she became well. 
And this incredible healing took place because of touch. Jesus oftentimes used touch to heal people. And when people heard about all of this healing that took place from his touching their hands or touching their eyes or whatever it was that was bothering them, they would bring their friends who were sick to come and see Jesus because he got to be known as a healer among the people in Jesus' day. And I think there are times and ways that Jesus can heal us too. And sometimes it's by touch. Sometimes in the church, you might see someone with blessed oils and we put crosses on people's heads and we bless them or anoint them if they're sick. And then sometimes I think that it also can be the words that we say that can touch someone's heart and soul and it can bring some healing to them as well. Like if you say, I'm sorry, after you've done something wrong, those words can be so powerful and they can heal relationships. And also I think it's important that our words can help people understand that they will always be loved by God no matter what. So anyway, I'm getting off track. I wanted to talk about the importance of touch and remind you that in the gospel lesson today, Jesus used touch to heal people and how important that is in the life of Jesus and in our life because we know that Jesus touches us in so many ways, sometimes with words, sometimes through doctors and nurses, sometimes through people who just care for us and give us a hug. So this is our prayer. Dear Jesus, help us to share your love and experience your healing through words and actions that you guide us to use. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now for the older ones among us, it's going to be another thrilling matchup, right? All the players are well-prepared, sparing no expense in terms of their time and effort. The stakes are high, the competition will be fierce, and the whole world is going to be watching. And no, I'm not talking about the Super Bowl itself. I'm talking about the Super Bowl commercials. I have to admit that even though I'll probably watch today, I really am more interested in the commercials than I am in the game. And I'll admit that I have several favorites from over the years that if I see again, I'm grateful for, but that I remember so well, uh, including one of my favorites in 2014, Duracell, the battery people, showed a commercial featuring Derek Coleman of the Seattle Seahawks. Do you remember that commercial? I mean, 2014 is a while ago. So this was the commercial. At a young age, Derek had lost his hearing. In just over a minute in this commercial, Derek told his story of being bullied, picked last for teams. He was harassed by coaches. He wasn't even drafted by the NFL. 
And then comes the signature line when he says, everybody told me to quit. They told me it was over, but I'd been deaf since I was three, so I didn't listen. The last scene is of Coleman entering the Super Bowl arena and saying, and now I'm here with a lot of fans cheering me on and I can hear them all. And then of course, on the bottom of the screen, the tagline from Duracell, trust your power. The commercial for me was wonderful because it created a sense of possibility, of potential, of empowerment and freedom. Derek's story of living into the person he felt he was meant to be against such great odds inspires us. And maybe we hope that that will become our story as well. As much as I love that commercial, I'd also like to think that we can get the same feeling and the same such inspiration in other places besides a Duracell commercial, such as at home with supportive parents or spouse, or at work with good colleagues, or on an athletic field with coaches and teammates, or at school from caring teachers and friends, or maybe even at church. Is that though the feeling that most people get from church? More specifically, is the message we hear from our preachers or the message that we expect to hear from our preachers anything like the feeling of that commercial. I mean, it's certainly part of the gospel reading today. So if you remember last week, we watched as Jesus' first action in Mark's gospel was to cast out an unclean spirit. And I interpreted that as God's commitment to stand against all the powers that keep us from abundant life or from participating in community more fully. And this week, that pattern continues. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, restoring her to community and to her vocation. It's not only this one woman, it's all kinds of people. So as Jesus heals and cares and restores countless people, setting them free from illness and demon possession to be the person that God created to be, he makes us feel good. So many people were set free, a whole city, Mark reports, that the toll it takes on Jesus forces him to retreat for a time for silence and prayer. But shortly afterwards, he's restored, and perhaps he senses the profound need around him, and he goes once more to embrace the mission entrusted to him, that being to heal and feed and to care for and set free all who recognize their need and come to him for healing. This isn't just the message of the first chapter of Mark, of course. 
It consumes the whole gospel and the other gospels as well, indeed all of scripture. God wants to set free all of us so that we might live into God's given identity and potential, claiming our calling as children of God and joining God in the mission to love and bless the world. But is that what you hear from your preachers? Or is that what you expect to hear? I wonder. I think I've often preached about the freedom that life in Christ imparts, but it has perhaps tilted toward naming freedom from the many things that harass us. So freedom from sin, certainly, but also freedom from various manifestations of sin that we might name such as freedom from fear or loss or despair or insecurity or all manner of things that plague us because of our human condition. And maybe in my bolder moments, I think that I've also invited you to hear God's promise and to help make it true through our actions to free us and all people from hunger and discrimination and inequity or inequality of all kinds. So all of this is well and good, and indeed it is at the heart of the gospel lesson today. Jesus frees Peter's mother-in-law from an illness, and Jesus frees crowds from disease and demon possession as well. But I'm not sure that I've always moved as quickly or confidently to the next dimension of the gospel in my preaching. And that is that Jesus frees us not only from things that seek to oppress us, but also for something, namely a life of purpose, meaning, and good works. And yes, I said good works. Lutherans can do good works. It's not because we do them in the vain hope that we can justify ourselves before God and others by doing them, but rather they're a response to the gospel message. And they help us to understand that we need to serve our neighbor out of a sense of joy and love and freedom. So in today's gospel lesson, Peter's mother-in-law is restored to her community and to her vocation. Now, I realize we may be troubled by the fact that at the moment she gets well, she gets up to serve Jesus and his disciples. I mean, my goodness, couldn't Peter have pitched in a little bit and given her a little more time to recuperate? But a former colleague of mine, Sarah Henrik, wrote so beautifully this passage. She said, illness bore a heavy social cost. Not only would a person be unable to earn a living or contribute to the well-being of a household, but their ability to take their proper role in the community, to be honored as a valuable member of a household, town, or village, would be taken from them because of that illness. 
Peter's mother-in-law is, uh, is an excellent case in point. It was her calling and her honor to show hospitality to guests in her home. Cut off from that role by an illness, cut her off from doing that which integrated her into her world. Who was she when she no longer was able to engage in her calling? Jesus restored her to her social world and brought her back to a life of value by freeing her from that fever. It is very important to see that healing is about restoration to community and restoration of a calling, a role as well as restoration to life. For life without community and calling is bleak indeed. So that makes me wonder, what did the man from whom the unclean spirit was cast out last week do after his healing? Or what did all of those people that Jesus heals in this week's story do once they were freed from their various ailments of mind, body, and spirit that had captivated them? I imagine some were simply so grateful to be made well, uh, so grateful that is that they had been freed from something debilitating or destructive, that they returned as quickly as possible to their old lives and their old routines and their old relationships. But some, I'm willing to bet, including Simon's mother-in-law, recognized that they weren't only freed from something like an illness, they were also freed for something, for lives of purpose and meaning and service, and generosity, and more. So here's my thought. I believe that there is a clear distinction between being freed from things that hold us back and being freed for many things. So here's my question for you today. For what have you been freed? To what is God's spirit calling you? Who or what needs you this week? Do you truly know that each time you respond to the needs of the people and the world around you, that you are responding to God's call and living into the freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ. This quotation from Frederick Beekner seems appropriate. He says, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Perhaps now is the time for us to claim this freedom and the calling that comes with it. God wants to set all of us free so that we might live into our God-given identity and potential, claiming our calling as children of God and joining God in the mission to love and bless the world. 
What a lovely calling that is for all of us. Amen.